0: Welcome to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry
1: Crabb, helping you find purpose and joy in your life and relationships. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. Jim Cress here with best-selling author and psychologist Dr. Larry Crabb. Our series this time is What Every Christian Counselor Needs to Know, The Seven Keys to a Spiritually Forming Conversation. Last time we talked about the red dots. where is the person you're talking with, in many cases a counselee, where are they right now? What's going on for them right now? Thinking even past just the presenting problem or what you think you need to do to address the presenting problem, where are they right now? Let's move into um, the second point today, and that just kind of flips where we were on the last time, and that is not what's going on in the counselee, but what's going on in me.
0: And there's a certain way I want to get into that. Okay. Jim, you're sitting there with earphones on. I'm looking into a microphone. You got your, what do you call that thing, a soundboard? Soundboard, control board. It looks like it's a airline cockpit to me. I don't know what it's doing. <laughs> but you know all about that stuff. And you're in your element here because you mm-hmm. know what you're doing. You're you're really good at this. You know how to how to talk into a mic and how to flip switches and, and how to conduct an interview, and I really appreciate that. But I, I, I'd like to... Um, Move into our second principle by asking you a question. What's your red dot? What's it like sitting here talking to me? What's really going on inside of you as we're talking about how people really change?
1: Well, you know, as you say that, I think of a couple of things. One's real obvious because uh, during breaks in our times, uh, I've had a a bit of an ear that's plugged up a little bit and been trying to. So, what are your earphones? Is off your ear over there. Right. right trying to um, take care of that. Actually, took some ibuprofen, and the pain is no longer there. And so I'm kind of thinking about that, uh, but very little. Um, I think uh, my red dot right now is, as much as anything, is how much of this um, do I want to immerse myself in, in that? There's such a temptation, if I'm going to be counseling with people, to, um, I love this, I can get this, what you've taught, and I've heard you teach this before in my head, but I'm thinking, often as you're saying this, um, I'm going to be back in a counseling session this week with somebody. And how will I really uh, put this into practice?
0: And my says you're not thinking practically how do I do it. You're thinking there's some sort of a push-pull here. Part of you is drawn to this, yeah. and part of you is not drawn to this.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, par- that's, that's very true. What part of you is not drawn to this? The, the thought I have always is the more I follow this path, and I want to say one more time, I have heard you teach this so many times. And so I'm I'm not new to it, but the more I really give myself to this this journey, the more I will feel very inadequate. Why? It should be just the
0: opposite. What are you talking mm-hmm. about?
1: I think it's um my goodness, is it a smoke and mirrors? Is it there's something that if I can come across and um I don't know if that's what a waiter feels like when they get tipped a good tip after a good meal, but if at the end of my session, and it's happened, uh, that a person would say, um, This was really helpful today. Or when I moved from Denver, Colorado to Charlotte, North Carolina, and saw some of my clients, long clients for the last time, and some of them cried and said, um, You've changed my life. You've really. And it's like, Well, um, oh, nice. it's kind of nice. Like I said, getting a tip. I must have provided good service here. Yeah.
0: So you feel a little like Brendan Manning talks about as the imposter. Mm-hmm. Am I really being a real person? And you said to me earlier today that one of your struggles right now that has to bear in what you're talking about is you're not sure if you've gotten your theology from your head into your heart. You're not sure if you really yeah. experience God very deeply at times. You, you wish you did. You want to. Mm-hmm. But you'd like it to be a lot more yeah. profound and a lot richer experience than it is. How does that bear in all this?
1: Um, the first program that we've recorded on this series, I really haven't thought much about that, but you and I talked about that before we decided to sit down and begin putting these down onto the CD. And, uh, I was thinking a lot about it then because uh, we're friends and we have a relationship and you, I know you, you're, you can say, well, where's your red dot? And I know that I'm not going to, I'll try to run away, but eventually you gently will pursue me. And,
0: and why would you run away? What is difficult about sharing your red dot with me? obviously we're talking into microphones and people are going to be listening oh, but
1: let's let's take a real example all right you have there uh, we're we're going to I'm just going to lay this out straight out there are people who would pay good money or would kill to be around you to be uh, have a cup of coffee with you and that goes without saying i know a lot about your schedule and i've had a lot of access to you it was, was my dream if i could ever work around you or be with and i've had all this access and you've said to me I'll watch tapes of you counseling, make videotape, and I want to mentor you. I want to supervise you, so to speak. Um, and I've had that. There would be people that would die to have that. I'm sure they'd be scared too, and I've avoided that. And there's some, such a part of me as whatever relationship we've had through the years, there's a part of me that can still say, I really don't want you to know me. As You watch that tape, and you may say, I what thought you were decent, my Yeah. Even when you say, you've said on, a, on it publicly, you'd say on one of these series, and Jim, of course, you're a counselor, you're a good counselor, and every time inside I go, hmm, something. I don't go, wow, I go, ugh. There's a know. fear yeah, the as opposed to
0: an affirmation.
1: Very much to say you really don't have any right to say that.
0: What's the second principle? Listen to the second principle. Know what's happening in you, the counselor. mm mm-hmm. Check out your own interior world. What's the interior world principle? So as you're telling me all this about your red dot, that there's a real fear that if I really knew you as a counselor, I'd think something other than what I do think at the moment. I haven't seen you counsel. Um, You've not taken me up my offer. You've not let me watch your videos of your counseling sessions. And as you tell me that, as you say things like some people would die to have this opportunity and that you're afraid that I might be critical of you or be disillusioned by you if I saw... What would you guess happens inside of me when I hear all that? Now we're in the second principle, kind of. What is my red dot as I encounter your red dot?
1: Uh, Well, you first thing came to mind when you asked that was because of the relationship we do have that you would feel sad about that, Mm. that you would feel.
0: You're painting me far too noble. I mean, I do feel sad. I really feel sad that you that you struggle with that level of fear, and, and I don't want you to struggle with that level of fear. But that wasn't my. And first I don't thought. mean
1: greatly depressed, but just a sense. I mean, when I say sad. I think I just mean that there could be a sense of, you know, um, I'll never be safe enough for you, Jim.
0: You know, the first thought that pops in my mind when you talked about all this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you ready for this? This I is mean, going to be profound, isn't
0: now, it? Well, maybe it's too strong a word, but, but this is the second principle we're talking about. Remember the first one was, is, is know where your counselee is right now, the red dot principle. The principle now that we're talking about is I want every Christian counselor to hear this. Know what's happening in you, Christian counselor, Yeah, right. as your counselee gets honest uh-huh. and talks about the relationality that they're kind of afraid to let you know because counseling's a relational encounter. And as they make known their red dot, what happens in you? Well, as you were talking about all these... Uh, All these kind things about me that people would like to sit with me and that uh, you've had the opportunity and you haven't fully capitalized on it. My mind went to an experience of shame in me Hmm. back when I ran a counseling program, a master's counseling program when it was at its zenith, mm-hmm. and it was one of the best-known programs, and we had triple applicants that we could accept. And every Wednesday at 4 o'clock, I went into this, to the classroom, and there were 100 eager people waiting for Dr. Crabb to appear. And I would lecture from 1 to 5, and then people would take furious notes, and it was wonderful. And I can recall something I said. that <laughs> I must have been 10 years old, but I, this is what I said. Uh, every, I'm feeling ashamed now as I tell you this. My sentence was this. I believe I'm at the point now in my professional development where anybody who came to see me, if they stuck with me long enough, I could help them. Now, I think that's the most ridiculous sentence in the history of psychotherapy. You know, <laughs> I think that is sheer pride, sheer arrogance born of a terror, born of a terror within me. Maybe I'm the imposter. Maybe I'm the guy that has a reputation. I'm the guy that's written the books. I'm the guy that gets some funded at seminars. I'm the guy that uh, – People have had a waiting list when I was in private practice to see. And I kind of wonder if the emperor has no clothes. I wonder if way down deep if I have anything to offer. I wonder if way down deep that that if I really watched your tapes and, and your counseling, that I think my fear would be would I supervise you well more than what I see you as doing well. Is there mm. real stuff going on inside yeah, of me? Can we meet at the level of our mutual fear? Can we meet at the level of our mutual dependence on God? Can I begin to acknowledge to you that, that there's something in me that is not as fully together as I'd like it to be. Now, I do have a fair amount of confidence and I've done this for a long time. And when I sit down with somebody, you know, I generally feel like, yeah, I, I think I have some sense of knowing how to move and I have sense some, some, some comfort level and I'm really glad to be able to chat with people. And I've seen a lot of people helped over the years mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for that. So do I think I have some gifting in this area of counseling? I really do. Have I been called in this area? Yeah, I really do. It doesn't take away the fact that in the core of my soul, there's a question. If I were fully seen, Would I be fully wanted? And that leads to all sorts of crazy stuff happening in every counselor. Jim, the reason I'm willing to share this, and I don't know who's listening to this right now, but whoever's listening to it right now, let me tell you, you're in the same boat as me. Hmm. And when your counselee, when your spiritual directee shares some deep stuff about himself or herself with you, stuff happens in you. And that's the point I want to make in the second principle. Face the stuff that happens in you. You don't always verbalize it. I'm verbalizing it with you right now. But until, and this is a huge point, please listen to this. Until the counselor is facing his own soul in such a way that a battle in his own soul ensues, you're not doing good counseling. If you're sitting there just doling out your prescriptions and doing your techniques and doing your cognitive behavioral assessments and procedures and treatment techniques and all that. If that's all you're doing, you're 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 a technician, you're not a person. But if I'm being honest about my red dot, about what's happening in my interior world, then I'm going through a battle. And the battle I'm going through really is an exciting battle. It's yeah. a battle that says that there's stuff in me that's getting in the way of my loving. There's stuff in me that's getting in the way of releasing the Holy Spirit. But if I face that and can be broken over that and can face the fact that right now I'm intimidated, right now I'm arrogant, right now I'm critical, right now I'm judgmental, right now I'm disgusted, right now I don't know why you would wear an ugly shirt like that, right now I don't know why you would talk about your wife that way, how how unkind can you be? And I'm sitting here with all these things happening inside of me that have nothing to do with God's glory, nothing to do with your becoming like Jesus, nothing to do with that. It has more to do with my proving myself that I'm superior to you, that I'm, and then beneath that, there's the fear. And when I face all of that, then maybe in my brokenness, I can sit back and relax and almost smile at what an immature person I am and say, praise God for grace. Let's get on with the interview. Let's get on with Mm. my giving myself to you because that's what I really want to do in the core of my soul. And, Jim, that's my confidence. Because of the gospel, the core of my soul is really good.
1: Mm. Not only
0: have I been forgiven, but I've been empowered. And I have the life of Christ within me. And I want to release that toward you, but there's so much junk that gets in the way. That's the second principle. Face the junk within yourself. Not that you talk about it with your client all the time, but let the battle begin until you're living in ongoing brokenness and ongoing repentance and ongoing dependence with kind of a casual, relaxed, restful smile on your face. The battle's huge, and God's up there saying, I've already won it. <laughs> I'd like you to relax and give yourself to your friend here who you're counseling with. That's the second principle.
1: You, you obviously know, as our listeners do today, the story of the Wizard of Oz and the mighty, powerful Oz out there and the guy pulling frantically the... You know, the controls behind the curtain till Toto pulls the – and in that famous line, pulls the curtain back. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. What would you think about you and I developing a franchise of Wizard of Oz counseling centers? <laughs> well,
0: it would be the most unpopular message the world needs to hear. There we go. I was talking to about 500 psychologists and psychiatrists not too long ago, a couple of years actually. And I was saying to them, let's drop our Wizard of Oz mentality, I didn't use that image, but that was a thought. Let's drop our doctored stuff and our professional psychotherapist and our MDs and PhDs and all the licenses that we have. And let's start asking ourselves, do we really know what we're doing? Do we do we really have just a, a deep confidence that that we are there as secure whole people? And wanting other people to find the wholeness that we've discovered or is whatever wholeness we had discovered so far less than what our souls long for that we continue to be strugglers. And I Mm talked like that to these 500 people and I thought I'd be booed out of the place. And when I finished, I got a standing ovation. Wow. I don't get too many standing ovations, but I got one that day and I was kind of surprised. So I did some exit interviews. Why did you applaud? And of the maybe 10, 12 people that I asked, they all said, you've given us permission to be real.
1: And they yeah. want it then. They it's, want it. It's the unpopular message, though, but that everybody deeply, everybody, if they're a Christian, deeply, they
0: want. You want to hear because you want to be real. You want to have an authentic encounter with your client. This is not a technique. It really isn't a profession in the sense of I have mastered knowledge that you do not have. I will now use my brilliant knowledge and my extensive training on your behalf. That isn't the core model. The core model is all my training has let me see what a mess I am has let me see what a mess you are, has let me understand somehow how the mess it works and some understanding of how God can work in the middle of the mess, but I'm just a guy struggling along with you, and when I face the second principle to check out my own interior world, then I learn the humility which permits me to move toward you with power
1: and so uh, forgive the bumper sticker, but it's that our confidence as counselors is then in Christ and not in our credentials. That's a good bumper sticker. And let me follow that up with a real-life story that I experienced. And and, um, just to get your comments, I was at one of these the largest Christian counseling um, organizations. You and I are part of it. It was an AACC event. There's nothing here, what I'm about to say, that's bad about AACC. But a particular author um, came up to me, uh, a speaker, who I really deeply love. and, And the person said to me, I love so much of what Larry's doing, because I knew I worked with you and said, I just love the, a lot of the new directions he's taking. But does he really think, oh, there's a butt coming somewhere, and there it was, does he really think that the average layperson can do this? And then went on to, we've all earned masters and PhDs, and we've thought about this. We've had, it was hard to get licensed, and we we're approved, and we, we had to go through all this. We understand all the blah, 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 blah. And is he really – and that was the question. So, Dr. Grab, do you really think that those who have spent time to really think hard and they have the credentials that the average layperson can do what you're talking about?
0: Think hard about what? Yeah, I got a PhD. I went through five years of graduate training to get my doctoral degree in clinical psychology from the school at the time was third ranked in the country in clinical psych. And I thought hard. I read dozens of books, hundreds of books, thousands of books and articles. And I did my doctoral prelims and I did my oral exams and I did my two days of written study and I was supervised. I went through all all sorts of study and research. But thinking hard about what? How many theories of psychotherapy are there? How many theories of personality theory? How many, how many different theories are there about a the quick personality? counting. Yeah, yeah. there's, there's <laughs> several several hundred at last count, 300. So we thought a lot about, about all sorts of things, but have we come to the realization after all these years of being professional psychotherapists that there's division all over the place? Line up 100 therapists, you get 100 different views. So what are the commonalities? Why does psychotherapy sometimes really help? Why do sometimes counseling offices see wonderful things take place? Is it because we've gone through five years of training in all these technical things that fellow professionals differ with? Or is it possible, is it just possible that what we've done in our five years of training or two years of training, whatever it's been, and all the supervision we've had, have we thought a little more about what it means to become genuine people and learning how to relate Mm. and becoming trusting people people who are not threatened, people who are secure. Now, is it possible that training has helped us get there, but is it possible that a sincere, godly person living in the church for a number of years has gotten there by an even better route, by church community, by dependence on the Holy Spirit? And they've gotten even deeper than training could ever take us to becoming whole people, not all the way whole, that awaits heaven, but to becoming the kind of people that can love and can relate and can bear the fruit of the Spirit. I believe that when, it, when, when technical knowledge is called for, I want somebody with technical knowledge. I just had my TV fixed by somebody that knows how to put wires together. I haven't
1: got a clue about that. Now you at least know how to plug it in. You've learned that. I asked my wife to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: when I want somebody to fix, uh, fix my TV, I get somebody who knows he's talking about. When I want somebody to fix my teeth, I get a dentist. When I want somebody to deal with my soul, I get somebody that knows how to walk with Jesus and knows how to relate to my soul. Now, can training help in that? Sure. I don't want to poo-poo all training. But I want to say that the real key is somebody who knows God and is moving toward him in honesty and is able to relate authentically with somebody else. And that doesn't necessarily require training.
1: Okay, because we want to move on to the third point, the third key before we do. So if I check my red dot, what is happening in me is I'm in a counseling session. Then I feel inadequacy. Uh, maybe I'm thinking, what am I doing sitting here? Or, yeah, they've shared that. I struggle with the same thing. Uh, we could go on and add other things. When those things come up, what am I to do with those things? I'm thinking, here's my red dot. It's this and this. What am I to do once I know what my red dot is that I don't self-obsess for, you know, 45 of the 50-minute counseling session thinking, man, I can't believe I'm just a no, 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 no. Celebrate.
0: Celebrate. Whatever you find in yourself, do you believe the gospel can deal with it? Hmm. Whatever you find in yourself, do you believe there's something better beneath it all? Yeah. Celebrate. Brokenness releases the wonder of the gospel in a person's soul. This isn't a question of spending the whole counseling hour thinking about your own mess, This is a question of saying, I really am a mess. I am intimidated right now. I am arrogant right now. But in the middle of all that, I can smile, like I said before, and say, by the grace of God, there's something more wonderful in me than that. But I can realize how bad that is. And in just a moment of prayer, Lord, forgive me for that. Let me get back into my client right now. I can move through my red dot once I acknowledge it, as opposed to covering it up and kind of playing the pretense game of, no, I'm not intimidated. Let me see if I can be of help to you now. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I think I know what I'm doing I'm really quite adequate Jim, I believe that the person that is going to help me the most Is the person who feels most personally inadequate And therefore most dependent on the Holy Spirit Hmm. And therefore are so humble That they're willing to listen to the wisdom that comes from God And willing to think really hard Versus coming at me with a closed system A tight method of techniques that are going to be useful in my life They so think That's just not the way I want to be
1: yeah, that's all. With. As you said, that in my mind I meant immediately, I'm, I'm too graphic in my word pictures to the Titanic, the closed system. Yeah. My counseling system and what I do, it's like they bragged about the Titanic. This ship I know. can't be sunk. It's out there, and we found out what happens.
0: And you know, when you really start facing what is happening inside of you, and you really understand, as a counselor now, as a spiritual director, that your struggles are at core no different than your clients. It doesn't mean that you have. I think I have a pretty good marriage and I talk with people that have some hard marriages. Well, I I do have a better marriage than a lot of people. And no, I don't suffer from severe panic attacks. I wake up at 2 in the morning and get scared sometimes. And no, I don't suffer from clinical depression. People sometimes think I do. I think I'm just in the spiritual battle of the dark night of the soul. But I don't think I have some of the struggles that people have. But get down to the core of my struggle and their struggle, and it's all the same.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Way down deep, there's a terror that if really seen, I wouldn't be wanted. Way down deep, there's a fist in the face of God that says, I can make it without you. I've got all kind of junk in the core of my being. But if I face that as a lifestyle, not just in the counseling hour, but in my own spiritual journey, and if I've come to realize the gospel can actually move through all of that, and I have hope for what I'm becoming. Jim, I've been saved for almost, well, 53 years I've been a Christian now. And I thought I'd be so much further ahead than I am. But let me tell you, I really celebrate that there's something happening in me that's really good. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend just a couple days ago who said, Larry, you're 61 years old. Why don't you retire? You have a couple of bucks in your pension fund. Write a couple more books, see a few people, and stop all this big ministry that you're developing. And it's too much of a hassle. Why don't you relax? You're getting older. And they said, so why do you do it? And I began to cry. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I did. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start crying now. Mm -hmm. I began to cry and said, it's because of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to know them so badly, and I want to make them known to other people. Now, that causes me joy. And so when I look at you or anybody else, you're younger than me by a little bit, then I can develop a vision for you because it's starting to happen in my life. If I face my red dot and see the power of God in my messed up life, then maybe I can have a vision for you, and that's principle number three. Let a faith vision develop in your mind. I call it the "It's Possible" principle. Real quick,
1: why is it a faith vision? You say not. People can say, "Well, I have a have a vision for someone." You call it a faith vision. Am <laughs> I making too much of that? Or no, not at all. I chose the words fairly carefully. A
0: faith vision. To me, all I mean by that is that sometimes I'm looking at people, and I can't see anything good. Hmm. All I can see is a mess. I think I have my eyes pretty well tuned up, maybe not quite 20/20, to see people's self-obsession, to see people's sin. I'm not afraid of hearing people's woundedness and their horrible stories. I know about their dads that have let them down. I know about the way they deal with their kids. I know about their sexual struggles. I know about their depression. And sometimes I look at people and I want to say, give up. Yeah. This person's a mess. What's well, the point. And you know one of the reasons I'm glad I'm not a physician? Because every physician at some point has faced that horrible time when they've had to say, medical science can do no more. You will die. I never have to say that. The gospel tells me that you can live. I don't care how bad off you are. I don't care how much of a mess you are. I don't care how badly sexual abuse you, you, you were. I don't care how many divorces you've had. I don't care how much you've been living the homosexual lifestyle. I never have to say, I give up. Now, that doesn't mean I help everybody that I talk with, but it does mean that I can look into your life and by faith, when I can't see anything that encourages me, I can still see the cross. Mm-hmm. I can still see the Holy Spirit working in your life by faith. Maybe I can't see it visibly, but I can believe that. Can I develop a vision of what you could look like in a year? You know, I think that um, I am 61. I've been a Christian now 53 years. And I think my wife, who God has given to me is probably my most important spiritual director, her, her vision for me for about the last 10 years is that I be settled. I churn inside. I am so unsettled over the years. Every time I get a thought, I, I get confused about it and want to get 10 more. Every time I write a mm. book, it's like, oh, that wasn't quite it. i got to write another one. Every time mm. I work with somebody that seems to go well, I figure, no, that didn't go as well as it could. I am just so unsettled in my soul that I'm always churning and I don't relax well. I don't sleep well. And for ten years my wife has said to me, Honey, my vision for you is that you be settled, that you somehow relax in who God is. It was maybe two months ago that my wife and I were away for a little bit. And when I go away, I I, I don't I don't rest well. When I'm on vacation really? for a couple of oh. days, no. I don't I don't unwind. I bring along John Owen on, the, on
1: Temptation and Sin, you know? John Owen and John uh, Jonathan Edwards should be outlawed from going on vacation. Well, with people they, that's, that's what I want to read, and my I know, mind is I just know.
0: always turning and working in that direction. But I said to her about two months ago, I came into her, and I was almost in tears. I was smiling with tears in my eyes, and I said, my mind stopped in a wonderful way.
1: Wow. Because of mean, reading
0: Owen, you mean? Or? No, I was doing something else. I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't reading Owen did the mind stop. But I said, I'm at rest. Hmm. And just the other day, as I was thinking about all that I have to do, the, my schedule coming up now is really, really heavy. And normally I feel just though, all right, I'll handle it. And just the other day, I said to my wife, there's a subtleness within me. God is doing something in me. I sat in, 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 in church just the other day, and I heard a sermon on fasting. And I was drawn. Hmm. I'm not drawn naturally to fasting. Nor am I. But the idea of fasting, not only food, the preacher talked about fasting words. Be silent. Don't talk so much. As I listen to her talk about fasting words and fasting food and fasting anything that is an otherwise legitimate appetite to talk, to eat, yeah, um, because you want to know God better. I could feel within me not a, oh my gosh, maybe this will work. I could feel within me, I'm on that path. I'm so grateful. And I walked out with a level of joy. Now that's sort of new to me in my spiritual yeah. life. Now that means if it's working within me, maybe when I look at you, whoever I'm working with, And no matter what kind of a mess that you you are, maybe I can just wait upon the Spirit to give me a vision for what Jesus would look like if he were you in your specific set of circumstances. How would he be operating? What Mm -hmm. words would describe him? Courageous? Noble? Quiet? Settled? Restful? What words would describe him? What words come to my mind? One of the problems is that a lot of Christian counselors know counseling theory better than they know Jesus. Ouch. And as a result, when they look at their client, they can't get a good picture of what Jesus would look like in the client because they don't know Jesus that well. That's been one of my struggles. Let me be really blunt with you. I've not always been attracted to Jesus. A couple of years ago, I checked out the sermons I preached from age 25 to maybe 45, and I have a file of hundreds of sermons. And out for every hundred sermons that I preached in my young middle age,
1: mm-hmm.
0: 95 of them were the Old Testament. The other five are the New Testament epistles. None were from the Gospels.
1: And your red dot in doing that was what?
0: To recognize that I didn't like the Jesus of the Gospels. I didn't like the way he operated.
1: Because he was? Oh, sometimes he was rude.
0: Sometimes he was bolder than I thought he should be. Sometimes he wasn't as empathic as I thought he ought to be.
1: He doesn't fit the mold. And, and I'm going to be honest because I got this from you. You pointed this to me. He, he doesn't fit the mold that a lot of counseling skills. Yes. Uh, right now you're thinking. That's exactly uh, right. They'd never teach that.
0: Yeah. And so we, maybe we're not we we haven't pondered what, why Jesus is so wonderful, why he's so beautiful, why he's so attractive, why he's everything a a man should be. In his thirty three years here, he exemplified yeah. perfect humanity. Do I, am I really drawn to him? I'm spending all my time now in the Gospel of John, and the reason I'm spending my time in the Gospel of John is I want to meet Jesus in a fresh way, and I find myself more drawn to Jesus than ever. That gives me the opportunity to maybe look at you, you being whoever I'm talking with, you you in particular, and to say. This Jesus that I know is really wonderful, and you're going to become like him. And I can have the same spirit of the Apostle Paul when he looked at the Galatians, who were heretics on his mind in certain significant ways, and he said, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Imagine a father looking at a son or daughter. Imagine a counselor looking at a counselee, a spiritual director looking at a spiritual directee, a husband looking at a wife, a wife looking at a husband, and saying, there is something alive in my soul that is so, so intense until I see Christ formed in you, not for my sake. I want you to know the joy of knowing Jesus. Mm -hmm. I want you to have the power of knowing Jesus. That's what I mean by thinking vision. And all this is happening before you say much of anything to the counselee. You know, I want to know your red dot, so my eyes are glued on you. And I'm listening, and I'm not interpreting too quickly, and I'm not coming up with solutions. I just want to know where you are in the immediate moment relationally. And when you share that, I want to know where I am in my red dot. And when I realize that where I am is not very good, I can smile because God's doing something, which then frees me to have a vision for you. And when I have that vision for you and I can look at you with the mood of what you could become, I am so quietly excited I don't have to do a lot of work. I'm just going to walk with you in a path that I know God is leading. This is going to be fun. Let that be the mood of the counseling hour, and you're off to a really good start.
1: And we then will be, in the truest sense of the words, wouldn't we, Christian counselors? In the truest sense of the word? Or we've used the word, and you had for years, the Institute of Biblical Counseling. We would be biblical counselors, wouldn't we, in the truest sense of the word? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Sounds like we need another revolution there um and uh, you've talked about a revolution in relationships and there's a lot more we're going to say on this series um leave us as we did last time if you would just leave us with a a, a parting word is to kind of tie all this in together as we wrap up
0: i'm so hopeful mm-hmm. i really really am hopeful if people that are listening to this listen let me just talk to you for a moment as you're listening to this um I don't want you to dismiss your brains and to close down your head and move only with your heart. I want you to be thinking about it and to test it against the scriptures, but I do want you to attend to your heart. What, what is happening in you as you listen to this? What is your red dot right now? If you and I were talking listener and you were listening to this, what would you say? Where would you be irritated? Where would you be frustrated? Where would you be celebrating? Where would you be rejoicing? And I would guess as you're listening to this, Christian, that you're saying, yeah, I want to know where people really are because God could work and I know where I really am, is the place where God works. Where I am right now is where God meets me. He doesn't meet me where I pretend to be. He meets me where I am. And if I can admit where I am as I work with somebody else and develop a vision for that person, my guess is Christian Counselor, Christian Spiritual Director, that as you're hearing this, you're saying, there's something here I want to think more about. I hope that's the case.
1: Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit largerstory.com.